Amen. You know, there's a, uh, a Christmas song that I listen to every year. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Anyone know that? I think it was sung in, I don't know, 1963 by Andy Williams. Anyone know who Andy Williams is? I actually have one of his vinyls from long ago. I like Andy Williams. Anyways, it really is the most wonderful time of the year. We love all the, the Christmas lights, the Christmas decorations, all of the food, all of the festivities, all of the parties that we go, go to. Is everyone all Christmas partied out? Everyone still wants more, yeah? Perfect. I like it. But we celebrate many holidays, but really uh, Christmas and Easter are unlike uh, any other holiday. Our birthdays are nice. You know, our anniversaries are, are nice. The other holidays that we celebrate throughout the year are very nice. But there's nothing like Christmas and Easter. They stand apart uh, because these two represent really two of the most important and supernatural events that have ever taken place in humanity. We have the birth of Jesus. It's the supernatural event of him stepping down from heaven into this natural world to save us from our sin. Like, that's a supernatural event. We're going to talk about that this morning. We also have the resurrection of Jesus, another earth-shattering supernatural event where Jesus rose from the dead in victory over sin and death. Amen? And through all of this, God never left us without hope. He's always been one to tell us what's coming, hasn't he? He's always let us know from the very beginning his plan to rescue us. After an Adam, and Eve, Adam and Eve had fell to deception, to pride and sin, the Lord immediately clued us all in on his plan to save us. We'll look at Genesis chapter 3 and verses 14 and 15. Y'all know the, the, the story of Adam and Eve falling to sin in the garden. Afterwards, there's kind of a meeting where God addressed Adam and Eve and the, and the devil. And this is what he said. He said, So the Lord God said to the serpent, in verse 14, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. So God is revealing right here, right away, immediately after Adam and Eve fell, that this seed would be the one that would crush the head of the serpent, defeating him. And we know that seed was Jesus, of course, right? When talking about Jesus at Christmas time, we often picture a little, little baby Jesus, don't we? You see all the manger scenes. You have cute little baby Jesus in the manger, you know, on all the decorations. You have, you have cute little baby Jesus, don't we? So we have this image in our heads of a baby, a cute, adorable baby. Years ago, when I was uh, managing uh, some retail stores in America there, uh, every time... I had this employee every year when we would put up our Christmas decorations, they'd always kind of tongue-in-cheek complain about all the Christmas time, all the, all the parties, all the festivities. It's just a busy time of the year, and she was being kind of a little bit of a Debbie Downer. But in response, you know, I'd always joke and, and ask her, why would anyone not like baby Jesus? 
right? It's a great time of the year. You know, don't you like babies? You don't like babies? I just joke with her back and give her, give her a hard time about that. But this isn't who Jesus is. He's not this little baby Jesus. You know, when, when Jesus ascended to heaven and he's seated at the right hand of God in heavenly places, right? You know, it's not baby Jesus there, right? Before Jesus stepped down from heaven and became a, a human, when he b- became a, a baby, like before he stepped down, it wasn't little baby Jesus up in heaven, right? It was Jesus. It was the, the, the second head of the Godhead, right? He had to become human, so that he could become the mediator between God and humanity. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 5 through 6. It says, For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. So who Jesus has always been, is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, right? Let's turn to Revelation chapter 2, way in the back of your Bible, Revelation chapter 22 and verse 12 through 14. Jesus has existed forever. Way before there was time, he existed. And when time ceases, he's still going to exist. In Revelation chapter 22 and verse 12, it says, And behold, I am coming quickly. Amen to that, right? And my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Verse 14, Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. You know, Jesus is the second person of the Godhead. You have God the Father, you have God the Son, and you have the God the Holy Spirit, right? And in John chapter 8, Jesus dropped what I would call a truth bomb on the religious leaders. Let's turn there. John chapter 8 and verse 58. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Adam was, I am. It's kind of an interesting statement, isn't that? Before Adam was, I am. This statement actually infuriated the religious leaders because they knew exactly what it was that he was saying. They knew exactly the reference in Scripture that he was referring to. But the leaders, they couldn't see past their dead religion and recognize who he was, they just saw him as another religious leader. They didn't see him as the Messiah. They didn't see him as the anointed one, the the one that had been prophesied over and over again throughout Scripture. In the book of Exodus, God had appeared to Moses in the burning bush. You remember that? You remember that story? God spoke to Moses at that time about freeing the, the Israeli slaves In Egypt. And at the burning bush, Moses had asked God who he should say was sending him. And God replied the same thing that Jesus had just said. He said, I am. 
Let's look at that part in the Bible real quick there. In Exodus chapter 3, in verse 13 through 14, this is a little different of a, Christi- of a Christmas uh, message, but Christmas is really a supernatural time. You know, sometimes we get so caught up in just the, I don't know, the, the holidays and things and all the decorations and things. We, we kind of lose sight of what it is that we're really celebrating. And the point I want to make today is that we're not just looking at baby Jesus in a manger, right? Like that's part of the story, but that's not who Jesus is. That was a small period of time. It's him entering into humanity, having to be born as a human in order that he could become the mediator between God and mankind. In Exodus Exodus chapter 3 and verse 13 and, and 14, it says, Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. You know, it's interesting when in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the Roman soldiers came to arrest Jesus before uh, he was crucified and, and, and endured everything that he endured, when they when they when the Roman soldiers asked him, you know, who is, which one of you is Jesus? What did Jesus respond? He said, I am. And when he said that, Scripture says that everyone there fell flat. They fell on their faces. This isn't just a baby that we're celebrating this morning. This is the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ the second person of the Godhead. There's great power in I am, isn't there? Would we have recognized him? The religious leaders didn't. Do we recognize Jesus today for who he is? What we're celebrating at Christmas is supernatural. It is the most wonderful time of the year, But it's the most wonderful time of year because what it represents, our celebration of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, Emmanuel, God with us. I think about that for a moment. Emmanuel, God with us. So many other people in this world are seeking God. They're doing all these religious works, all of these duties, all these different things to try to make themselves right with God. But they don't have to go through all of that. God took that first step, took that initiation. He sent Jesus, right, to come down to this earth on our level to endure everything that we've had to endure. The Bible says that he had to endure every temptation that we've had to endure, right? But he overcame those things. He's paving a way for us. The Apostle Paul, we've talked about a lot of different times where he said, follow me as I follow Christ, right? We're following after Christ, following in his footsteps. We don't have to try to pave our own way, to try to forge our own way. It's not like going through a jungle with a knife and trying to, 
Like, we just have to follow Jesus. He's already cleared the path. There's nothing that you have to do except to follow him. We just talked about this the other week, didn't we? Where Jesus said, follow me, set aside your own way, right? And follow after me. That's all we have to do is follow after him. So we're celebrating something very supernatural today. Christmas is so much more than just the natural event of a baby being born under a bright star in Bethlehem. It's God fulfilling his promise to you and I. He started that promise right there in the garden. He told us exactly what he was going to do. He's never kept it hidden from us. He hasn't tried to. He's kept it right out there in the open. This morning, I just want to real quick take a look at a couple of significant prophecies in the Bible where God, through his word, revealed his plan of redemption through Jesus. Jesus is the absolute greatest gift that could possibly be given to any of us. And that's really why we have that, why uh, at Christmas time we give gifts to one another, right? Because that represents what we're doing is giving a gift representing God giving us his gift, Jesus Christ. What we're celebrating at Christmas is the most supernatural event in human history. But it really wasn't the spectacle that people assumed that the entrance of the Messiah would make. They were always looking for something really splashy, something real big like fireworks and a king coming in. You know, when, when Jesus finally came into Jerusalem on a donkey and they laid those palm branches at his feet, you know, they were yelling rejoice. They thought the king was coming who was going to uh, help them overthrow the Roman Empire. They thought Jesus came to set up an earthly kingdom. But Jesus didn't come up to set up an earthly kingdom. He came to destroy the works of the enemy. He came to free us from the power of the devil over our lives. We're no longer under the devil's authority, are we? If we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness, right, and placed into the kingdom of light under Jesus Christ. You know, when Jesus was rebuking, you know, he, he, Jesus never rebuked the sinners. You know who he rebuked? The religious leaders. <laughs> and you know what he said to the religious leaders at different times? He said, you're acting like your father, the devil. How would you like to be one of those religious leaders and have Jesus tell you that? No wonder they wanted to stone him in their dead religious indignation right? But they, were, they never recognized who Jesus was. Here you have this baby being born really under miraculous circumstances, and we're going to look at some different prophecies. It's absolutely amazing what Jesus did. And it all begins with an angel appearing to a young Jewish woman named Mary. Let's look at that story in Luke chapter 1, in verses 30 through 35. We'll read through this. It says, then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. 
And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And then Mary said to the angel, how can this be? Since I did not, so it, since I did not know a man. In verse 35, and the angel answered her and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. That's amazing, isn't it? Think about that for a minute. I think a lot of times we just brush past some of these things. We've been, you know, how many Christmases? My 50th Christmas. <laughs> I've had a few Christmases under my belt now, and sometimes you just, you just kind of brush past these details that are really supernatural. How many of us have had an angel appear to us? Huh? I don't know, probably not any of us. This is an amazing supernatural event. The Holy Spirit was going to overshadow Mary, and she was going to conceive so that she's, you have, you have the, the, the seed of, of humanity, but you also have the seed of God. So Jesus is, is kind of has one foot in both places so that he may then be a just sacrifice offering his life for you and I. He was human, but he was also God, right? The scripture that we just read, this was fulfilled in prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. God never tried to keep anything from us. He always put it right out there. The Jewish people were always looking, could this be the Messiah? Could this person be the Messiah? Do they fulfill this prophecy, this scripture? They were constantly looking for the coming Messiah that was promised to them. In Isaiah there that we just read, that prophecy was, giving seven, was given 700 years before Christ was born. And 700 years later... That was fulfilled. Supernatural, isn't it? Everything about Jesus is supernatural. From his death or from his birth to his death, his resurrection and his ascension to heaven, it's all supernatural. And the mathematical odds of anyone, there's over 300 prophecies in the Bible about the coming Messiah. The mathematical odds of anyone fulfilling those throughout Scripture, it would have to be supernatural. Can you imagine trying to fulfill all those? Only the Messiah could. Anyone can make predictions, right? We all watch the news. We have the, the weather people make predictions all the time, right? Are they accurate? Come on. They're not that accurate, are they? They make predictions, but they don't come true. We can try to make predictions, but what are the odds of those things actually taking place? Anyone can make a prediction, but having those fulfilled is vastly different. And the more statements that you make, the less chance, the less odds that those are going to be met, right? But in the Bible, there's all these things that God had prophesied. 
when Jesus would be born. He actually gave a time frame that Jesus would be born. We're going to look at that in just a moment. Where Jesus would be born, the manner in which he would be born, and even the tribe of Israel that he would be born in. And the Bible even prophesied how he would die. That's amazing, isn't it? Like that's giving some really like detail things about the Messiah and who that person was going to be. That's a lot of details. Like it's not these vague things. Like these are very detailed prophecies. What is the likelihood of predicting the specific date of the appearance of the Messiah? Hundreds of years in advance. But this is what Daniel did. 530 years before Christ. That's amazing, isn't it? Let's look at Daniel chapter 9 and verses 25 through and 26. In the NIV, it says, No one understand this. From the time the word goes forth out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble, after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end will come like a flood, and war will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. That all sounds a bit confusing, doesn't it? Try to figure out that math. I think their math is a little different than, than ours is these days. But from this, Daniel understood that the anointed one would come 483 years after the word went out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. So you have the date, the time frame that Jesus would come. Then you have the place that Jesus would be born. What is the likelihood of a person predicting the exact city in which the birth of the Messiah would take place many hundreds of years after? But this is what the prophet Micah did 700 years before Jesus came. This is all supernatural, isn't it? In Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, it says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be the ruler of Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. And then you have the tribe that Jesus was to be born into. Isaiah prophesied this in Isaiah chapter 9 and 6 and 7. It says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David. For all eternity, the passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Jesus is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah, right? That's of his ancestor, David. This is nothing less than supernatural 
of Jesus fulfilling these prophecies and over 300 other prophecies about the Messiah. What is the likelihood of someone fulfilling that? Think about that for a minute. I kind of like statistics. The odds of someone fulfilling over 300 scriptures is just mathematically impossible. Can't be done. It's absolutely impossible. Like if, if you were to even try that, to try to even attempt that, there's no way that you could possibly do that. Only the true Messiah could have done that. Listen, I took the uh, liberty here of printing out all the different prophecies. Whoop, that's, uh, oh, did it print on both sides? Hmm. Hey, it printed. Wow, that's cool. These are, this is over 300 different prophecies about Jesus, the Messiah. You have in the, the first column here, you have the prophecy, where it is in the Bible. You have the description of the prophecy, and you have the fulfillment of that prophecy. All of those were fulfilled. The mathematical improbability of someone being able to do that it's just impossible. There's no way. Like some of these prophecies, hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus ever even existed on the face of this planet as that little baby Jesus, right? What are the odds of that happening? This is why people in this world are so dumbfounded by the word of God, by the Bible, because people have tried to disprove the Bible time and time again. Well, why do they try to disprove the Bible? Because they don't want to be held accountable to God one day. They don't want to stand before the Lord and be held account for their life. But we're all going to, whether we like it or not, whether we want to or not. That doesn't matter. That's irrelevant. We're actually all going to stand before the Lord one day. So there's lots of people that have tried to disprove the Bible, a good handful of those, who have tried actually wind up becoming Christians afterwards because they realize like if you're a thinking person if you're a, if you're a person of intellect of intelligence all right you look at the bible and you're like that's impossible there's actually no way that that can possibly happen did you know there's more historical evidence for Jesus than there is for Julius Caesar None of us have a problem thinking that Julius Caesar existed. There's more historical evidence for Jesus than there is Alexander the Great. Yet we have no problem thinking that Alexander the Great existed. But people try to disprove only one figure in history time and time again. Does anyone curse like other people's religious leaders' names? No, it's only Jesus that's cursed, right? Why is that? Have you ever thought about that? It's because the devil absolutely hates the name of Jesus. Why? Because he fulfilled all of these. He is the Savior. He is the Lord. He is the Messiah. The devil knows enough scripture just to be dangerous, he doesn't apply it to his life. He doesn't have any faith in it outside of knowing that God's true to his word. 
That's why the devil time and time again tried to kill, whether it was at the time of Moses or at the time of Jesus, he's trying to kill babies, right? He's still killing babies today. He doesn't care about life. He hates life. He hates humanity. He hates precious what God cares about. But the devil knew enough scripture just to be dangerous, and he tried to kill the Messiah over and over again because he knew what would happen when the Messiah came. He knew enough to know that once the Messiah came into this world, that clock is ticking. He knew his time was coming to an end. You're welcome to look at this later if you want. I can even send you a PDF copy if you want to do a very exhaustive study. In 1953, it's quite a few years ago, a professor at Westmount College in the U.S. had calculated the probability of someone fulfilling only eight, that's five, eight prophecies in the Bible of the Messiah. It was a massive project that himself and all of his classes worked on. It was 12 different classes, over 600 students in this university worked on. Massive project. When they were all done, the data was submitted for review of a committee of the American Scientific Affiliation. Upon examination, they verified that all the calculations were correct and accurate. For example, one of the things they looked at, and we had looked at this in, in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 that we had read, where it states the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. They had determined that the average population of Bethlehem from the time of Micah to the present time, and then divided it by the average population of the earth during that same time period, it concluded that the chance of one person being born in Bethlehem was one in 300,000. That's pretty tough odds, isn't it? Would you ever make a bet at the track if you had a one in 300,000 chance of winning? Probably not, I'm just throwing your money away. But we might look at that and say, well, you know, the odds of someone being born in Bethlehem, you know, it's just a one in 300,000 chance. Sure, someone could do that, right? But get this, they went on further in their examination. That's just one. They went on further in their examination of the science of probability. And after examining eight different prophecies, they conservatively estimated that the chance of one person, one man fulfilling just eight of those prophecies was 10 to the 17th power. That's the number 10 with 17 zeros afterwards. That's just for eight. Now, come on. We don't have to be a mathematician to figure out the impossibility of someone just fulfilling eight of those prophecies. Here we have over 300 that he fulfilled. It's historical. The Bible is a historical inaccurate document. The best and brightest of humanity's minds have tried to disprove the Bible. No one ever has. God is so much smarter than we are. Come on. Like what do they say? We use what percentage of our brains? It's a pretty small percent. You know, we like to think of ourselves as so bright and smart, 
right? But we only use a small percentage of this. Imagine if we used it like at 100% capacity. We'd be pretty cool, right? Imagine what we could do. But I think it's like under 10%, right? Do you know? Eight. I knew Jonathan would know. 8%. We use 8% of this thing, and we think we're so smart, right? We're not as smart as we think we are. What we're celebrating each Christmas is a mathematical impossibility. It's supernatural. You know, someone fulfilling eight of those prophecies, to put it in kind of a more manageable way of thinking, if you covered Ireland in a meter's worth of two euro coins, so the entire Ireland, we covered it a meter's high with two euro coins, right? And you took one of those coins and you marked it with a Sharpie and then you threw it into the mix, mix it all up, and you don't, know, have, you don't have any idea where it is. And then you take a blind man and you tell him to go find that one coin that you marked. What are the odds of that blind man finding that coin? You know, they say even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. But what are the odds of this blind man finding that one two-euro coin that you marked when the entire island is covered a meter's deep in two-euro coins? The mathematical probability of that is just absolutely impossible. So you have just eight prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, and they said the mathematical probability is 10 to the 7. Well, what would it be for over 300 I don't even know. Impossible. Cannot happen. What we're celebrating this year is supernatural. Who we're celebrating is supernatural. Listen, we, when we change the way we think, we, we shouldn't think like the rest of the world thinks. Our thoughts should be based on this. Yes, that doesn't mean we turn off our minds. We've been given a brain, right? All 8% of it. <laughs> you should use it. I've met some people in my life that have zero common sense, and I'm like, dear Lord Jesus, just help them cross the street, right? We should use our brains. But as Christians, we don't live by this. This is an aid to our life. What are we supposed to live by? We don't walk by sight. How do we walk? By faith. Sure, we can, we can use some intelligent way of thinking and, and reasoning to show the validity of the Bible and that we serve the one true God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except by me. It wasn't that he was just being narrow-minded or, or trying to keep people away. It's because of what he accomplished. I mean, think of the odds here. Why is it that he's the only one who's the mediator between God and men? Because he's the only one that has fulfilled over 300 different prophecies that God himself gave. God gave these prophecies. He actually made it impossible. Think about it impossible for any other person to fulfill these prophecies. No one else could. 
There's been a lot of other people in this world that has come and have been great thinkers, great religious leaders, so on and so forth, but they're not the mediator between God and men. Only Jesus is because of what he did, and not just what he did, but who he was. You have Jesus who humbled himself. He's God, right? The second person of the Godhead. The Bible says in the first chapter of John that all this world, all this creation was created through him, right? So Jesus created everything that we see. He humbled himself and actually became one of what he created. No one else has done that. No one else can do that, can they? Anyone who says they can or think they can will lock them away in a nice padded cell where they're not going to hurt themselves, all right? It's, an impossi it's impossible for them to do that. You can say you're something, but until you have fulfilled all 300 of those prophecies and have done everything that Jesus has done, well, a lot of those things, time's already passed on those. No one can fulfill those things. Only Jesus can fulfill these things. In Luke chapter 1, in verse 37, when Mary's, when the angel appears to Mary, the angel Gabriel, appears to her and tells her these things are going to happen, she's like, how in the world is this going to happen? How can this even be possible? Imagine trying to wrap your head around that as a young lady. An angel comes and says, you have favor with God, and this is what he's going to do through you. That would be hard to grasp, wouldn't it? And the angel tells her in Luke 1, 37, he says, For with God, nothing will be impossible. Isn't that good to know? When you encounter things in your life where you're like, Lord, I don't know how this is going to happen. How can, how can you make this right in my life? How can you provide? Listen, when, when we seek first the kingdom of God and, and Jesus is talking about, you don't need to worry about tomorrow. You don't need to worry about those things. Well, how can you be in that kind of state where your world is turned upside down and you're like, Lord, if you don't do something, like my life is done. I don't know how this is going to work out. Same thing that this angel told Mary. With God, nothing is impossible. And Jeremiah it says, God actually told Jeremiah, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. There is nothing too hard for me. Man, these are scriptures that I hold on to. These are scriptures that I remind myself of when I'm going through a difficult time or a hard time in my life. Because sometimes faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? I mean, we can say we walk the walk, you know, I'm trying to walk the walk of faith. But sometimes we just need to encourage ourselves in the Lord, don't we? Remind ourselves what God says in his word. Because with mankind, things are impossible almost all the time. But with God, all things are possible, aren't they? So what are we celebrating this Christmas? Christians all over the world are, are celebrating a supernatural event. It's our Savior coming into this world. 
for all of us. But think about it in terms of he came for you. For you. That's what we're celebrating this year. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 35, after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple to dedicate him to the Lord. And God's prophecy wasn't even done yet. Here you have Jesus being born, like it's happened. That is now that train is moving. It started. But there's still prophecies being given about Jesus. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 25 through 35, it says, And at that time there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly awaiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Verse 27, that day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there, and he took the child up in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace, as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is the light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. And as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Simeon said that Jesus is a light to reveal God to the nations. You know, the Israelites thought that he was just going to be the Messiah for them. They weren't thinking big enough. The Bible says in John 3.16 that God so loved the world, right? His plan was always for all of us, but he needed to bring the Savior in through some part of humanity in order to enact his plan, right? I want to close this morning with this scripture in Romans. You know, the Apostle Paul was the, the apostle to the Gentiles, to those who weren't of Israel, who weren't Jewish. He went to everyone else, and he declared the great hope that we have in Jesus. In Romans chapter 15, and verses 8 through 13, says, now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision, circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made to the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, for this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles, and sing to your name. And again he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, and again praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you people. In verse 11, and again, Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. Now may the God of hope 
fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what I hope to leave you with this morning as you begin your countdown to Christmas Day is that we're celebrating something truly supernatural. It's not just a normal holiday that's on the calendar. It's not just a holiday that this hotel closes for just for a day to have off. This is the most important, one of the most significant events in humanity, in our lives. And so when you're opening up presents this Christmas or Christmas Eve, remember why you're opening up that present or presents and what that actually represents in your life. That represents God sending his son supernaturally to come into this earth, to live as a, a human, enduring everything that we've endured and living a, a sinless life. The Bible says that he's the, he's the spotless lamb. What does that mean? It means that he never sinned his, in his entire life. And I can't even go a day without that, right? But Jesus did. And everything that he endured, everything that happened to him in his life, everything that he dealt with, including humanity turning their backs on him, the very people that came who just a couple days before were, were yelling, you know, Messiah, right? Laying palm branches at his feet a few days later. Had him put up on a cross and crucified. But he did all that willingly. He knew who he was and why he came. He came as the gift so that we could have salvation, so that we could be forgiven of our sin so that we could ditch our unrighteousness and take on his righteousness. That's what we're celebrating this year. Amen? Let's just pray.